Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Human Rights. A podcast brought to you by SCORP, the Standing Committee on Human Rights and Peace of IFMSA Groningen. Join us once a month as we interview various experts on topics pertaining to human rights with the aim of educating you, the listener, as well as ourselves. This is the second part of the two-part episode in which we interviewed Marlies Hesselmann about climate change and its impact on the right to health. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. I want to I want to ask a question which might be kind of stupid, but I really want to ask you. They say, or at least I heard somewhere, that we have um, twelve or ten more years, and then after that, a big climate change, climate disaster, crisis, crisis however you want to call it, is going to happen. Is that true? And if it's <laughs> true, how come we don't hear? Uh, more and more of it and how come don't yeah. people like talk about it more yeah this is a good uh, this is a good point um, and I think this wraps up also a number of the things that we've been talking about uh, because why do we not hear more about it or why do we think we do not hear more about it uh, yeah. it's maybe because people don't understand exactly the, the climate science behind climate change and why it is so urgent and so it's maybe difficult to really understand what it means. We only have 10 years and I will explain in a minute what it means. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing people, people are not necessarily aware. And then secondly, the, the, the debates about climate change are still quite far away removed from us. Uh, and that if you don't really understand the debates, you don't maybe see properly that, that politics are actually worried about this and that, that politics is also more actively taking action on this in the last months. Uh, and maybe I can explain a little bit how this how this works. So the idea is that uh, we only have until 2030, that's at least that has been at one point the assumption, to reduce our levels of greenhouse gases in such a way that it stabilizes at a level that does not create more than 1.5 degrees global warming. And the Paris Agreement has said in 2015, let's try to keep global warming well below two degrees so not two degrees like it was before, but well below two degrees and preferably be below 1.5 because this will be better also for more vulnerable areas in the world. So if you know that you want to keep the warming under 1.5 degrees, then you know that you can only emit so much extra CO2. And this has been the calculation that based on the emissions of a few years ago, uh, I think this was a, a numbers from 2018, the assumption was if we go on the same path of 2018, we will use up the budget that we still have for 1.5 by 2030. If we go for two degrees or well below two degrees, we will have more years and eh, likely until I think 2050. Um, so if we want to buy more time, the emissions need to go down much faster. And if you have followed the news on climate change, you have hopefully seen that in the last months, especially in November and December, a lot of countries have made more serious pledges to reduce greenhouse gases much faster until 2030 and to 2060 um, or 2050. Um, China made a big pledge. The EU made a big pledge. Uh, I think Korea, Japan. So the US. Yeah. So the idea is now if you calculate all these pledges together, the image looks much more positive. Uh, and some organizations have calculated that the pledges together could mean that we may end up with around two degrees warming 
which is still on the high side, by the end of this century. So there is good news recently, yeah. uh, which still needs to be delivered in policies and concrete targets. Um, but this is what the debate is about. So if you read the newspapers and you see debates about new targets for 2030 or 2050, and the targets have been much improved, then it's exactly about this problem that you were just mentioning. Trying to make sure that we didn't use up the budget by 2030 uh, or by even by 2050, or even hopefully not at all by the end of the century. Mm. Uh, but that's the, that's the discussion now. And it, the, the numbers were very pessimistic, but we are seeing uh, very good commitments now. So also that is hopeful. That is absolutely yes. wonderful to hear and right? to smile on my face. <laughs> the only question is, of course, how well those will be upheld. And exactly. But will it work? It's a very will good first step. Yeah, say. exactly. Yeah. And there, hopefully, human rights can also play a role because we, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, see, we saw with the Urgenda case that uh, in the Netherlands, uh, the, the organization Urgenda that took the case to court in the first place was successful in getting a higher target. But they didn't ask yet for the policies. And now it turns out that the Netherlands this year by 2020 probably did not meet the targets by just a, a few few small percentages or like maybe 1.5% or, or, or sorry, a 0.5 or 0.6%. But it still means they didn't make it. And now the question is, can Urgenda go back to court to ask the government to still fix it? Uh, so again, there, hopefully we also see some interesting court cases occurring whereby uh, people can really also go to court to say, hey, you didn't meet your target, or hey, you're not no. going to meet your target. I want to know Hold what you're doing more. Yeah. 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 They should be able to do that, if yeah, you ask absolutely. me. Right? I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, but we have to see, because it's all, like I said, it's quite legal, it's, it's quite innovative in law, all of this. It's quite new. Yeah. Um, so also legal scholars don't always know what what will happen many people expected that the agenda case would never be able to make it um but it did right so uh, we have to see how it uh, how it developed yeah yeah and actually this really like blew my mind what it says here in your bio about um the goal to realize universal access to modern reliable and affordable energy services has been recently included in the new un sustainable development goals and it aims to lift over 3 billion individuals globally out of energy poverty. What? 3 billion individuals? Yes. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. It's shocking, right? <laughs> could you, yeah. yeah. Could, you, could you tell us a little bit more on that? Yeah. About that? Yeah. So, um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals were adopted in 2015 as a sort of uh, follow-up to what used to be the Millennium Development Goals that were in place between 2000 and 2015. And the idea is that these UN agendas sort of put on the record what states aim to do for a certain period of time. So it's, it's essentially a plan. These plans tend to be on the ambitious sides. So often there is some critique that at the moment they are adopted they are already set up for failure, right? So this is sometimes a little bit of a challenge. Um, but the good thing is, is that you see that such goals, they really mobilize also a lot of activity and incentives and finances. And it really gives people an aim to, to, to aim for the same things. So on energy, there was this goal included on uh, realizing universal access to modern energy services by 2030. Well, that's also very ambitious. Um, so making sure that everybody by that time has access to the energy services that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, that means two things concretely. 
helping the people who don't have electricity yet uh, by the start of the, the, the development goals that was still around 1.2 billion people uh, lacking uh, basic electricity access around the world, still quite a high number. Uh, and the good news is, is that recently uh, there was a new report out about the progress and the amount of persons uh, not having electricity reduced a lot to around uh, 790 million. Uh, so that was quite a good improvement. Uh, but most of so that happened from, in India. From 3 billion to 790 million? No, this or is... did I misunderstand that? The, okay, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's, that's, <laughs> this is the people lacking electricity. So that's 1.2 ah. billion uh, to, okay. to uh, nearly 800,000. Uh, but the most of that happened in India because India started to implement <laughs> wow. electrification plans uh, in, yeah. in a very ambitious way. That was a big improvement. The biggest problem, the other problem, is the, the problem of the 3 billion. Uh, and actually, the World Health Organization has called these persons uh, the forgotten three billion, because this is about a problem that often does not get sufficient attention. And it's about the fact that three billion people worldwide, so let's say over or around 40% of the, the global population, um, they still cook on solid fuels. So they still cook with things like wood or dung or biomass, uh, or they maybe have access to lighting with kerosene. But they, they basically still cook on, on household fires. Uh, and this is extremely dangerous to people's health, especially when you do this indoor without a proper stove and without a proper chimney. Um, it causes uh, very serious health issues, uh, non-communicable diseases, but also eye disease, and blindness. Uh, it's dangerous because of burns yeah. and fires. Um, and the World Health Organization has actually estimated that uh, in 2014, around 4.3 million persons died from this prematurely, amongst which a large percentage of women and young children, because they tend to be closest to these fires. Um, and and, and, and 4.3 million is uh, equivalent to about 7% of the total mortality of, this, of, 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 of uh, global mortality around the world that year. So it's a huge problem, but you don't hear a lot about it. And it's a huge amount of people 3 billion people that still cook in this way. And it's very difficult for us to imagine this sometimes. Uh, but then the question is, what do you do about this? And is there any improvement there? And here, unfortunately, the realization is, is that there is progress, but the progress is too slow compared to population growth. So the amount of people that born into this type of energy poverty is higher or the same than the amount of people that actually get better access yeah. to clean cooking, let's say. So this is actually a very persistent challenge and it's proven very difficult to change also because it is related to things that are very cultural, the way that we cook, the way that our food tastes. Uh, it's about wow. poverty, yeah? wood, wood, wood or dung you can collect for free, but electricity or natural gas or, or bottled gas you have to you have to pay for. So it's an extremely difficult challenge and often not sufficiently talked about. Uh, from a health perspective, uh, but also from, from a pollution perspective, air pollution and, and climate change. Um, so it's not easy to solve this one, unfortunately. Um, but people are now taking more action on it through Sustainable Development Goal 7. Uh, and there have been some minor improvements, but not as big as, as the one uh, related to electricity. Yeah. 
So it's very difficult to, to address. But I think it's quite great that you're working on it. And I think we should even like recognize these minor improvements. Exactly, right? That's that's yeah. the, that's the good thing. So there needs to be at least hopefully some improvements. Uh, and I think there are also some good examples that can be replicated. Like India has also had quite some success in this uh, in this context uh, with getting people to take up uh, um, a bottled gas uh, as, as a main cooking source. Um, but this requires quite a lot of resources because you need to subsidize these new fuels quite a lot. Uh, and this is not always within reach um, for, for some governments. Uh, plus, it's also about geography. So people in rural areas will simply have more difficulty accessing uh, these types of goods and services. Um, so you need to have some type of distribution chain uh, or a grid. So there's also some infrastructural issues uh, that are concerned there. And yeah, it's also what you said before. I think this has a really huge uh, role to do with, <clears throat> like, with culture also. Because even if people had maybe, I don't know electricity, maybe they would still prefer to cook with with fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is also what is being so. Even people that get access to a cleaner cooking facility. Uh, they still have their fire to cook certain types of foods, like a certain bread yeah. or a certain curry or a certain type yeah. of thing. Uh, and this is called fuel stacking. So people may use a lot of different types of fuels in their house for different purposes. And it's not so easy to eliminate the one that you are so used yeah. to. Um, yeah, so this is, a, this is a, a big challenge and a big, a big health challenge as well. People are also not always aware of the danger of these fires for their health. So they will bring their children to health clinics with certain uh, health complaints, uh, but it's they're not aware that it's actually being caused by the fire yeah. or that the fires may be used in a different way or outdoors or with a better stove or a better chimney. There's also ways to make short or small uh, adjustments that just makes also small improvements, but people need to know. Nice. This is what I wanted to ask you about, basically, because I remember that I think two years ago when the Amazon was burning and um, the, um, the Brazil's president is Bolsonaro and they wanted to offer him 20 million to help um, with the fires and he said he would reject it and blah, blah, blah. Which was kind of tragic, I think, the whole situation because Amazon is like it's like the lung the earth's lungs how do they yeah. call it something like that mm. yeah. yeah so what happened um regarding that case yeah that's a very good uh very good example i remember this was in the news and, and there was a a heading in the news saying yeah the bolsonaro refuses help he says the amazon is ours right it is brazilian it is not the yeah. national community <laughs> does ha doesn't have any interest in it which is interesting because I think legally speaking from an international law perspective, he is probably correct in the sense that uh, in international law, states are still organized in, in certain territories that each have their own sovereignty and then states can wow. decide within that territory what occurs. Wow. Um, but this is why we have international law to make agreements about what states can or cannot do within their territories. And to some extent, forests are included in the climate law framework, for example. So there would be some expectations that Brazil is managing their own emissions in a way that they are not contributing to climate change. That means both emitting, but also keeping the rainforest, mm -hmm. keeping the Amazon uh, healthy. 
but it's very difficult to enforce that. So I think this is why it is actually so interesting that people in Brazil themselves are starting to stand up and, and going to court and trying to protect the Amazon as a whole or parts of the Amazon, for example, also where there live indigenous peoples. Um, and there are currently a, quite a few interesting cases pending um, that are actually trying to do this. Um, and also here, there is also some legal innovation because um, in Brazil and in some other Latin American countries, people are also even trying to formulate a new human right, which is uh, not just the right to health, but the right to a healthy climate or the right to a stable mm. climate. Um, so this is quite interesting that people are actually trying to voice their concerns uh, even through through and through the concept of a new right uh, and i think we will see much more debate about this in the coming years precisely because climate nice. change let's hope so because this was actually really nice to hear yeah, yeah. It it's hopeful i i think it's very hopeful uh, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, of and course, of it's course. not successful everywhere but people are trying to to action and i think that's very good yeah Speaking of work to be done, um, do you have any recommendations for how we or our listeners um, could advocate more for climate change and how that inter uh, interacts with human rights or what resources people can use to further educate themselves on this topic? Mm, yeah, that's a very good question. So for people who are interested <laughs> in these uh, climate cases, uh, so what is being done based on human rights in different countries, there is actually a very interesting uh, database and a database sounds very complicated, but it's very easy to navigate, which is called uh, climate case chart. Uh, I think it's literally climatecasechart.com. And there you can search based on countries or based on human rights cases, different examples of these cases. And each of them have interesting summaries. So you can see what is going on there. That's quite legal. Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I would say try to educate yourself on, 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 on things as much as possible. Uh, that can be done by reading the newspaper, but also going online and trying to find out some interesting information. Um, there is a so-called intergovernmental panel on climate change that publishes reports on climate change and the state of climate change every so many years. There will be a new big one out this year. It will be re reported in the news, I'm sure. But you could even go to the website of the IPCC yourself because they always make summaries for policymakers because policymakers mm -hmm. also need some easy information to digest. <laughs> so people could read uh, could read about this. So that will be my first uh, main advice: educate yourself uh, and try to really realize what's at stake, this, uh, what's yeah, happening, and what, what are the of what's happening. Yeah. yeah. And then secondly, if you know what the problem is, uh, that will maybe also inspire you or or teach you what it is that you might be able to do yourself in your personal life. But also it will give you the knowledge and the information to start talking about this to other people and explaining how, how bad it is uh, and what needs to be done. Uh, and then there's always all different ways of political action. Uh, one is to vote uh, when you can vote for political parties that actually take it seriously. Uh, another one would be to organize a protest or to join in petitions or to just take opportunities to make your voice heard about this. And uh, there's different ways of doing that. And there's also different of levels that you're doing that we don't all need to become climate activists. But uh, I think mm -hmm. it's important to uh, to be aware and to speak out. That's, um, that's And to bring it into your life and make it a very conscious thing that I mean, all of what you said is basically that, but 
just yeah furthering educating yourself and uh, yeah so educate be yourself aware. step yeah. one yeah be aware exactly educate have, yeah. yourself be aware and then act because yes we have results through actions Yes, and the, maybe the last thing I want to say about that is that we now still see often that people try to make changes in their personal lives, which is very good. I think that should be done also because it creates a movement and it creates uh, also more awareness. If people see you act in a certain way, then they think about this before it Corona. It creates a new mindset, I think, on things. Exactly, exactly. But also being an inspiration in that sense, uh, because I think... For myself, for example, I decided already before Corona that I didn't want to fly anymore for, for work or for holidays, which is not so easy, also not when you are an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I try to do it. And then I go to a conference in Romania by train. And all my colleagues look at me wow. like I'm crazy <laughs> because it, wow. it took almost two days. Uh, but I did show it was possible. Right, and, it's, and you have yeah. a lot of time to read. Then you can do exactly. some work on the train. Exactly, I guess that the the experience of traveling then changes a lot for you. It was a wonderful trip. It was a wonderful trip, mm. and it might not mean that my my colleagues will do the same next time. Um, but they but often maybe tell we me, now. <laughs> yeah, and they often tell me, "I thought about you when I booked the next flight." I'm sorry, I thought about you. So it's, uh, it's planting, it's planting it's that planting seed in seed. people's yeah. heads, so yeah. that exactly. can develop and. Interaction, exactly. hopefully. Exactly. Exactly. But what I wanted to really say about this, so it's good about taking personal action and then trying to get this movement going. But I think to ultimately get there, it is not about personal actions only. It's the need for a, a big change in the system, which will require mm. the state to step in and to do more forms of regulation. And I think this is really yeah. a part of a political process where people can also play an important role by demanding that the state mm-hmm. does more. And you can use human rights yeah. for this, but there's also different ways of, of, of asking for this. Um, but I think human rights for me is a powerful tool uh, to articulate, to articulate this need for more action. Um, and then when the framework That's... is in place, the le- legislative framework, the facilitative framework, it will become easier for everybody to take uh, action in a way that is more in line with 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 climate concerns yeah nice i'm excited to get there and reach that point (laughs) of this big change nice we gotta fight for it is there anything else you would like to add because i think we're uh just about out of what we wanted to talk about yeah but no i i think you asked very good questions so uh, thank you uh, (laughs) thanks for having me here and i hope that your listeners uh, also found it of interest in terms of the links between climate change and health Uh, it was a pleasure i hope so too it was very interesting for us i think we had a very nice conversation and we learned a lot so thank you for being here my pleasure thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for the next episode and as always keep educating yourself about human rights